0: Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well, and subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. And so I want to say happy Mother's Day. And this morning, it's with great humility and gratitude that I bring this word on Mother's Day. Motherhood has always been and will always be the greatest ministry that the Lord has trusted to me. At the age of 19, I was told that I had a condition And the treatment required would almost certainly leave me sterile. And the chances of me ever having children were almost certainly zero. And the Lord healed me supernaturally in a worship service the week before treatment. I will always believe in the miracle-working power of God. I will always believe in healing because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it over and over again in the lives of others, and the Lord went on to give me four children. Yeah. When the doctors said I would have none. And so every single one of my children, I realize, is not my own. They're not mine. The condition of the earth would say, you weren't even meant to have any of them. But the Lord intended that I would have four. They're not mine. They're his. And so I parent them and I mother them with that in mind. They're not mine. You know how like when you borrow someone else's car, you take better care of that car than your own? It's kind of like that. When you realize your children are not your own, they belong to the Lord, it, this weight settles on you. This responsibility settles on you. And so, you know, the, the kingdom of God is a generational kingdom. It's layered It is our responsibility to think generationally. We live in a culture that just says think of yourself. Just think of yourself. But the kingdom of God talks about the children's children, that a wise person thinks about his children's children, that we would have a long-range view and we would think of generations. And so today I want to share a message called Host a Generation. Host a Generation. What is it? to host a generation. Well, the dictionary defines the act of hosting as to receive or entertain guests in one's home. Could your children actually be divine, heavenly guests in your home for a season that you're called to host, that you're called to provide the services, the facilities and the resources that they need while they're in your care? to support another person until they reach maturity. This is how the dictionary defines hosting. And so when we think about it in terms of kingdom, in terms of a generational perspective, hosting a generation simply means bringing up the future generations in the ways of God. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, mentors, We all have the responsibility of hosting the generations, hosting the next generation, so that when they reach maturity, they embody the kingdom of heaven. That's my responsibility, is that when my children leave, they will look like heaven on earth. That's my job. I'm raising them to release them. That's my job. I'm not raising them and attaching them to myself. I'm raising them and attaching them to the kingdom of heaven. I'm raising not children, but adults. I'm raising not babies and toddlers, but champions, giant slayers. That's who I'm raising. I'm raising them to leave me and do great exploits, to be able to hold their own in this generation and call down heaven and usher in heaven. That's who I'm raising. And hosting a generation is all about legacy. It's all about legacy. And who here knows that's easier said than done? All right so much easier to say than to actually do unless you live by conviction and priority. Unless you live with a lucid idea of what it is that you're called to do. Unless you live on mission, on assignment, every day, and vigilant against the distractions and the ploys of the enemy who are after your children who are after the next generation to be ineffective, ripped off, undermined. It is easier said than done unless you stay focused, unless you stay resolute. And we, we live in a culture that is hostile towards family. It's hostile towards marriage. It's hostile towards the standard of heaven. Can I give you a clue? If you say something in culture today and it's shunned, it's probably the truth. Just a clue. If you get silenced for your parenting style by the world, it's probably the truth. The Bible says a lot of things in Proverbs on how to raise a child that the world says don't do that. The world is hostile, culture is hostile. And we are constantly bombarded, aren't we, as parents by our career, by finances, by demands. We're constantly being pulled every which way. And Mother Teresa said, so you want to change the world? Go home and love your family. Lay down all the distractions. Understand the things that are luring you are actually meant to be serving the ultimate goal. This is where culture is changed. This is where the world is turned around, at home, at home. And so, Moses, I want want to bring our our attention to the story in Deuteronomy 6, powerful story, where the people of God, the Israelites, have been led out of slavery. They've walked around in the wilderness. They've seen the promised land and didn't get it because they were grumbling, and that's a whole other message But they're finally up against the promised land again. And Moses is about to hand the leadership over to Joshua. He's about to die. He's aged. He's done an amazing job. But he's not going to go into the promised land. And he's not going to take God's people into the promised land. Joshua's going to do that. And he knows his time is up. And they're right at the edge of the promised land. What is the promised land? Now imagine a people who were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Generations of slave thinking, generations of being downtrodden and abused, nothing to call their own, no sense of right, no sense of entitlement. They were slaves for 400 years. And God rescues them at the hand of Moses and they come out and God says, this is going to be your inheritance. And he brings them up to Canaan, the promised land. And this land, he's just literally going to give them on a silver platter. They've had nothing. They've had less than nothing. And suddenly they're about to have everything. They're at the gateway of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey Cities they won't have to build. Vineyards they won't have to plant. It's flourishing. It's everything and more. And they're just about to be given it on a silver platter. And Moses has brought them to this point. And here in Deuteronomy 6, we hear his last address to the people. What would you say if you were leading 1.5 million people and you're about to die and you're about to hand over the reins? What would your last words be? Like that's a really daunting task. Well, we're going to read it this morning. We're going to read what this leader thought was the most important thing to say as his final public address. Because as they stood there, with their future in sight, as they stood there on the doorway of their possibility of their, of their promised land, their leader Moses sensed a deep hesitation. Their leader Moses had a sneaking premonition that all this blessing could actually lead to their demise if they didn't successfully host the next generation If they didn't inspire the generations coming after them, it would all be a loss. He wanted them to lift their eyes from the immediate gratification of blessing. He wanted them to understand something more than the gratification of blessing. Every single one of our families has a promised land. The Lord is a God of abundance. The Lord is a God of blessing. The Lord is a God of favor. He is faithful. He is generous. He is good. But I want to tell you that blessing without purpose is very dangerous. First world problems are a curse. When I hear about what is going on in our nation, I'm like, are you joking? That kid just needs a swift and maybe to spend a couple of weeks in a third world nation. Because blessing without purpose is actually so dangerous. And Moses realized this. He realized this just as they're at the cusp of blessing, just as they're standing on the doorway of promise. And so in Deuteronomy 6, let's read it together, starting in verse 1. This is his last public address. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I have commanded you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful. To observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers, as he wants you to do, as he's promised, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's the only God. You shall love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses here outlines a really practical family strategy. A really practical parenting strategy. What we can apply every day in 2023, it's right there in verse 7. And we're going to go over it this morning. The cool thing about this is it was written thousands of years ago and it applies today. This, if we apply this, as well as other things in the scripture, we will flourish. Our children will be pillars in our community. They will be strong. They will hold their own if we do this, if we get our hearts around this. And before I go any further, I need to attribute a book called Think Orange by Reggie Joyner. It's an amazing book and literally one page out of it is what I have based this next part of the message on. These four points in your day that you need to incorporate out of verse seven to host a generation. This is church. This is church. Somebody might be sitting here thinking, well, I don't have children. Somebody might be thinking, well, my kids have grown up and moved out. Someone might have already discredited themselves from this message because they're not husband and wife and 2.5 children. But I want to tell you, this is church. When I was born, my parents were immigrants from Poland, immigrants, and, uh, and got connected to the Polish Catholic community. And in that community, there was a family and they had many children, but their only daughter, Yulitka, uh, which is Juliet, she was about 15, 16 years old when I was born. And they, according to Catholic tradition, asked Yulitka and her older brother Richard to be my godparents. So I got christened and I've got photos of the cute dress I was wearing with all the veil and everything and and the sprinkling and, and all of that. And here's Yulitka, 16 years old, standing there accepting the role as my godmother. That young girl, that woman, was a teenager and she became my role model. Every school holidays, she would take me to Dreamworld. Every birthday, she had a present for me. Whenever we were at church, she would sit me next to her. Catholic church with the floral dress and the stockings. When we had community gatherings, she always drew me in. A kid, a teenager would draw me in. She always had gifts, she always saw me. When she was 23, I watched her be diagnosed, be diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I watched her go through treatment. I watched her prior to that engage with young guys and eventually a boyfriend, and I watched her do it so well. I watched her engage with other adults. I watched her do university. One year, when she was 23 or 24, my mum took me in September to go and visit her in hospital. And she lay there in bed with no hair, cords attached, and she said in a raspy voice, have a look in the bedside table. And I opened the bedside table and there was a gift wrapped with all the streamers. Because she remembered my birthday would be on the 21st of September. And she had not missed a birthday yet, and she wasn't going to start now. You better believe that was the most precious gift I've ever received in my life. I want to tell you, you do not need to be a mother to raise the next generation. She taught me so much. She taught me so much. She showed me how to care about other people how to give and sacrifice, how to play and laugh. She taught me how to care for the little ones that everyone overlooked. She taught me how to think of others regardless of my own struggles. Hello, 2023. She taught me to give extravagantly. She taught me how to die well. She was my first funeral. She taught me how to live. She taught me how to give. She taught me how to die. And she was not my mother. She was a teenage girl. You don't need, please do not excuse yourself on Mother's Day. Please. You don't have to have children to raise a child. You don't have to be married to model appropriate behavior. You don't have to be rich to give. You just have to be you and have eyes to see and a heart that is willing to respond. Every single one of us plays a part in hosting the next generation. And at the end of this message, I want to open the altar and I actually want to lay hands on every single mother, every single spiritual and natural mother, and pray for an impartation of the weight of responsibility and the opportunity it is to pray and lead a generation. And so quickly, verse seven you shall teach the things of the Lord to your children when you sit in your house. Number one, hungry hearts, meal time, meal time. Mealtime, mealtime. Experts are saying that in a matter of a few short years, the children coming up now will not have the skill of critical thinking because of devices and because parenting has been abdicated to schools and programs and institutions. A child will no longer, as an adult, be able to think critically for themselves. Why? Critical thinking always started at the dinner table. It didn't start with Mrs. such and such in grade three. It started with mum and dad at the dinner table every single night. That's where critical thinking is taught. That's how to host a generation. He says, when you sit in your house, the dinner table is the place where you are a teacher, where you have formal discussion, where you establish values. Time magazine said this, Studies show that the more often families eat together, the less likely kids are to smoke, drink, do drugs, get depressed, develop eating disorders, consider suicide. The more likely they are to do well in school, delay having sex, eat their vegetables, learn big words and know which fork to use. If it were just about food, we would squirt it into their mouths with a tube, says Robin Fox, who's an anthropologist who teaches at the University of New Jersey, about the mysterious ways (laughs) that family dinner engraves a young person's soul. Mealtime is about civilizing our children. It's about teaching them to be a member of culture. This is where the family builds identity and culture. Legends are passed down. Jokes are rendered. Eventually, the wider world is examined through the lens of the family values. Critical thinking is taught. In addition, younger kids pick up vocabulary and a sense of conversation and how it's structured. They hear how a problem is solved. They listen to other people's concerns and respect tastes studies show that as children get older and well into their teenage years, they actually need this time more. The ones who were studied, who rarely have family mealtime, an overwhelming 40% say they wish they had. And the ones who lack it at home find themselves in the homes of friends whose parents do this. Although potentially awkward to initiate, the more it's done, the more fluid it becomes. And this is a passion of mine. Anyone who knows me knows this. I rarely order in because I learnt so young as a mum that there was a huge emotional difference between something that's open out of a box and something they, they watch me make. Big, big emotional difference. Oh, it's not my personality. Too bad. We're hosting the next generation. We're feeding them naturally and spiritually. Just this week, I had one of my daughter's teenage friends sitting at the table and she goes, I think this is the only place I get a nutritious dinner. Many of their friends call me mum. And they text me the way they would text a girlfriend. And I tell them, My home is your home. Come and sit and many of them refuse to eat vegetables at home, but they know when they're in Kay's house, everything on the plate gets eaten. And they still come. And they love it. Mealtime parents, grandparents, friends, uncles, aunties, turn off the TV, put away the device, set the table, make a meal and do it regularly. When you sit down, teach them the ways of God. When you sit down, secondly, when you walk by the way, the backseat bandits. This is drive time. You know, you have a captive audience when your kids are in the car with you. They can't escape. This is an amazing opportunity, an amazing opportunity for you to be their friend. Crack jokes, talk about what's happening in life. This is an opportunity for you to talk about the things of God in a light-hearted friend type situation. When you walk by the way, Jesus did this with His disciples on the road. How many lessons did He teach them on the road? On the way between ministry events big events. Do you know what? I think we squander so many opportunities in the middle. On the way from one thing to another thing, the radio's on, we're distracted. It's an amazing opportunity to turn the radio off and just chat. On the way home from school, every single day, we do pits and peaks every day to the point where I don't even do it anymore. They get in the car and they're like, so mum, what were your pits and peaks? Where we just chat, where we turn the music down and we are friends and we engage. When you walk by the way, teach them the things of God. Remember, you're raising them to release them. So use your travel time, the in-between moments to teach them how to live when you're not there, when they hop out of the car. Thirdly, when you lie down, sleepy ears, bedtime, intimate conversation. In this moment, you're their counsellor. Do not be the teacher when you're laying them to bed. You do that at the table. But when you're at bedtime, you're their counselor. Oh, my sons, boys are so different to girls. Uh, One of my boys waits for this moment all day. He will not disclose in the car. He will not disclose at the table. He waits for that moment and offloads. And he has a conscience as big as the sun. So it's been weighing on him all day and he offloads. This is a precious, precious moment. This is such a precious moment. You become their confident. Make sure they're coming to you, not everyone else, not the world, not some teenage friend who's giving them advice. Make sure you've taught them that you're the safe place You're where the wise counsel is. You're where they can offload and be safe and not judged. It's a precious time. And I want to tell you, with four kids, this takes ages. Every single night. I want to tell you, I invest anywhere up to two hours every single night between the four of them. And for the single parents in the room, you can't divide and conquer the way I used to. I will not give up this time. It is so precious. It is so so precious. And and I, as a young mama, you know, had the privilege of being a youth pastor, and so I had hundreds of teenagers to suss out. And I established, you know, well, these kids are actually doing remarkably well. They're flourishing. I'd love it if my kids turned out like this. So what did I do? I went and had coffee with their mothers. I know there's no formula, there's no like do A, B, C and D and you'll get this. But I'm sure there had to be a common thread somewhere. And so I sat with these mums and there was this emerging thread of even as teenagers, I sat on the end of their bed every single night. It's a precious time. I sat on the end of their bed every night. And we send them off into sleep. We send them off into that place of subconscious knowing that they're loved, that they're purposed, that they're precious. I asked Layla if I could share this story and she laughed and she said yes. When she was little, Layla's, you know, every child has a personality. Um, And when she was about two and I was doing this with them and, and I would lay in her bed and I'd say, Layla, you're so beautiful. She'd be like, no, I'm not. Layla, you're really precious. No, I'm not. And she would just reject every confession. And so I remember one time walking out of her room and sitting on the couch with my head in my hands going, Lord, this grieves me because she's confessing death over herself. Give me a strategy. And the Lord said, just wait until she's half asleep. And so I did. I waited until she was just dozing off, but still semi-conscious. And I'd say, Layla, you're so beautiful. And she'd go, "Hmm." And her little soul started to receive it. And her little soul allowed me to build her. Just pray when you need a strategy. I remember when I was pregnant with Layla and Maya refused to listen to the idea of having a sibling. She's like, no way, no way like, Lord, what am I going to do? This baby's going to arrive. I need Maya to be okay with it. He said, get a dog. The day we got the dog, child changed. Another time Layla was going through a hard time. Lord, what am I supposed to do? Build a veggie patch with her. Built a veggie patch with her. Change the child. Just pray. They're his kids. He knows them. He's given them to you to do a job for Him. He's the boss. When you're stuck, ask Him. And then do it, as crazy as it might be. Just do it. Who knew a veggie patch would change a child? It did. When they were little, I rewrote the Lord's Prayer into kids' language, and they memorized it. I want to read it to you. Dear God, You're amazing, and we love You. May we be all that You want us to be. You give us everything we need. Forgive us and help us to forgive others. Keep us safe as we live for you. Thank you for our family and the great day that we've had. Give mummy and daddy wisdom every day. Help Maya and Layla become awesome women of God. Help Judah and Jesse become awesome women of God. Keep us safe as we live for you. Bless our sleep tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And finally, he says, when you sit in your house at the dinner table, when you walk by the way in drive time, when you lie down at bedtime, and when you rise up, new beginnings, morning time. This was the breakfast bench for us. And this is the time where you're their coach. You're coaching them. Imagine they're just about to go into a game. What does the coach do? All right, guys, remember the plays. Remember how we're tackling this day. Another story about Layla. Dear Lord. <laughs> um, three, four years old. I'm sure she's the only child. I'm sure none of you have experienced this. But tantrums at the daycare gate. Tantrums at the daycare gate. I don't want to go, Mom. <laughs> Hanging onto the gate, and I'm like, trying to drag myself away. You'll be fine. And I do want to say, you need to pick your daycares really well. I would not have put her in a daycare if I didn't know every single teacher in the room, if I didn't know exactly what the ethos of the daycare was. I just actually wouldn't work if I didn't have that for my children. But I knew she'd be fine and she was just acting out of sinful flesh nature because we all care about ourselves. And children, if you want to know the definition of a narcissist, just look at a small child. Look at a newborn. That is the definition of narcissism. But we have to host a generation. Because what's the 25-year-old version of that? Gross. I have employed 25-year-old versions of that. Gross. We need to raise our children to be contributors, to hold their own. So I started to talk to her every morning. Layla, you know how you sometimes feel when I drop you off? Maybe there's another child in your class who feels the same. Maybe you can find that child and make friends with them and encourage them. What was I doing? I was turning her outwards. Don't raise a narcissist. Don't raise a child that you stroke all the time. It's all about you, sweetheart. It's all about how you feel. No, it's not. Where is that in the gospel? All I see in the gospel is my life is poured out. Jesus laid his life down for others. And so I teach my children, you are strong and you are purposed. Every morning I'm their coach. When you walk into that school, how can you help your teacher? How can you bless the kids in the grade? You are a leader. You are full of potential. The Lord's put you in that place. There are people waiting to hear about the love of God and they're going to hear about it through you. Coach, breakfast time. I want to show you a picture of when it all started. I showed that to my girls last night and they're like, oh, they were the good old days when you let us eat Nutella. (laughs) I want to show you what they look like now. Every morning, right? Every morning. Oh, I don't feel like going to school today. I know, sweetheart. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. What is the purpose and the plan of heaven in your day today? I call it Where's Wally? You know those Where's Wally cartoons? Where's Jesus in your day? Guys, look for Him, find Him, find Him. He's there every day. He's in the face of a friend who's hurting, a teacher who you don't know what she or he is going through and needs your help. Jesus is in your every day, find Him. You have purpose. You're not just another kid in school. You have purpose. What is your purpose? From the youngest age, from the youngest age. And it's an inspirational way to live. It's not a burden. I suddenly have purpose at the age of 3, 5, 10, 20, and now I'm a contributor to society. When you sit in your home at mealtime, you know, you might need to buy a dining table. You might need to buy a matching set of crockery or a slow cooker. When you sit in your home, teach them the ways of God. It's conference time every night at the dinner table. And I want to say, if you're too busy for this, you're actually too busy. You only get one shot with these kids. The Lord's entrusted them to you. Do whatever it takes. And if it's robbing the next generation, if your job is robbing the next generation, change your job. It's just, it's too costly. It's too costly. Meal time, drive time, bedtime, breakfast time. Teacher, friend, counselor, coach. That was what Moses thought was the most important last address. It's to make sure that the promises of God are not lost in one generation. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I wanna say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.